This is the My Michelle Live podcast. Health Watch Wednesday. Here's Michelle. The age we live in is not an easy one for men in particular. While we talk about women's rights and hashtag me too's, while we take on issues of black lives mattering and uh, brutality and feeling marginalized by many, one group in particular kind of thrown under the bus as though they just don't matter. But I'm here to tell you, men you do matter. It's not an easy road for men right now, but John F. Kennedy said this, do not pray for easy lives, pray to be stronger men. Me and the My Michelle Live fam, we're here to encourage you today, no matter who you are, but particularly men and the men in our lives. We don't like to go out shopping. We don't care what's on sale We just want to sit with a bag full of chips Watching the NFL When you come over at halftime And say does this dress fit too tight We just look you in the eye with a big fat line Say uh uh looks just right Well that's the truth about men Yeah that's the truth about us Hey, thanks for joining in today. It is Health Watch, and we are talking men's health today. Dr. Salvatore Giorgiani is a senior science advisor to the Men's Health Network. And as we talk about men, well, today, that's what they do every day, a focus on men. So if you are a man or you know one, which pretty much means every single one of us, this is for you. As we go into a new year, first of all, happy new year. Doctor, it's good to connect with you again. Happy 2021. Yes, happy 2021 to you and your listeners, Michelle. We made it through 2020. We need to give like a yeah. an air high five. Congratulations, right? But as we go into a, a new year, I wanted to focus on the needs of men. Now, we are really dealing with uh, the after effects of 2020. Uh, it can be emotionally for example, emotionally draining, especially on on men who have been traditional providers in our country. When we're looking at the loss of jobs, the loss of businesses, uncertain times, that's not the only issue that men are dealing with. What what are the big uh, top issues for men and men's health that you all have been able to identify on Men's Health Network? Well, uh, that's a very important question to ask. You know, part of the reason that men, we believe, are more highly affected by COVID-19 is the fact that they have underlying uh, more comorbidities and just generally poorer health than do women. Uh, Nine out of the 10 leading causes of death in America uh, are led in the statistical department by men. Uh, And that's a stunning sort of uh, testimony. Those include things like cardiovascular disease, obesity, pulmonary disease, uh, and and other factors that are associated with uh, 
more mortality and morbidity, uh, poor outcomes and death with COVID than almost anything else. So we uh, think that one of the long-term strategies that has to be considered by policymakers is getting men and boys to better health care. Uh, and we would love to see a public policy uh, to help do that. You know, there's a Office mm-hmm. of Women's Health that was created over 20 years ago in HHS, and it's been terribly successful in elevating the priorities for women and girls to help bring them to better health and help ensure that policies across the nation uh, are tied together so that there is an overall plan to uh, make the health of women and girls you know, better than it had been in the 60s and 70s. There is no office of men's health at HHS. Isn't that amazing that we we are really we've been talking today about how we are focusing on on women, a women's society, the the beauty of women, women's rights and feminism. But uh, we forget that a, a key component to the wellness of all of us is that if we are all well, men and women, uh, an example is something that uh, I found on Men's Health Network dot org, an encouragement for screening for breast cancer. Breast cancer, for example, when you think of breast cancer, uh, you really do think of a a feminine disease, but it's mm-hmm. not. No, it, it affects uh, men too. I think about 10% of the total cases of breast cancer are uh, in men. But still, we Men's Health Network are routinely contacted by men who... Uh, because they read what goes out to women, uh, they do somehow or other notice when they have a lump in their chest and they, and they begin the journey down being treated. Uh, but it, it's a lot like that. We don't have to look at something like breast cancer to just find the no. disparity. And uh, I've written about this and published about this. Um, and what I like to think of it as is an unintended consequence of the policy to focus on women, which was needed. I grew up in the right. 60s and 70s, and I know some of the issues women face there. I'm a father of two wonderful women, uh, and then I have three fabulous women, daughter-in-laws. So I, I understand many of the issues that they faced then and face now. Uh, and I happen to have five granddaughters, too. So, you know, it's in my heart. <laughs> you have estrogen surrounding you. I got it. <laughs> well, that's Gives okay. you a balance. I have, of, I have plenty of testosterone, too. We have but the point is that, you know, we no one intended to neglect the health of boys and men. Uh, most of the conditions that cause this high level of death rate in, in guys uh, including suicide, by the way, which has ties to COVID uh, itself, uh, they are, generally speaking, preventable. Uh, what we're seeing with COVID now is the, also I mentioned suicide, the, the suicide rates, the use of alcohol, uh, the admissions for uh, overdoses are up dramatically uh, with COVID. And while the numbers haven't been completely stratified or broken into bits and pieces yet, uh, most of the experts believe that the trend will show, uh, and this is what I believe, the trend will show that this is disproportionately affecting boys and men, all of these mental health issues. Your opening was right on and spot on that men, when they lose their jobs, if they are the providers for their families, 
uh, and they are in many, many cases, they lose a male identity because so much of masculinity is tied into your ability to be a provider. It's not just sociocultural, but it also, to a certain extent, is in our genes. It's, it's how men were blueprinted from the beginning. Right. And and couple that with health insurance loss. When we're dealing with uh, businesses going under, when we're dealing with a loss of jobs, our health care system is tied in to our work. So that really affects men's health as well as their families and that pressure that's on their shoulders. Yes, it does. And, and when Men's Health Network looks at uh, an issue, uh that affects the health of the guys. We also look at how it affects the health of their families and their communities. Communities uh, suffer just as well as families suffer when men are, you know, uh, in, in poor health for preventable reasons. You, you just can't weed half a garden, Michelle. You just can't look to help elevate the health of one segment of our population. And I wouldn't say hurt the other, but disregard it to the point where it becomes over a period of time uh, hurtful. Oh, Dr. Giorgiani, you could not be more in line with what we're talking about today. And that really is trying to find that balance that we can look to elevate a certain segment of the population, or we could look to say, oh, there's there may have been an injustices. I mean, I, I think of something as simple for women in health as uh drug testing, something like Ambien, where we didn't realize the mm -hmm. effects that it can have on women because we tested it primarily on men. Women, after all, we go through these changes every month. It's hard to test on, on women and have that consistency. So, of course, there has been some uh, discrepancy and disparaging uh, problems. But when we are not looking at the whole of society and treating our ourselves, all of us as equal, we tend to err on the side of uh, bias against and neglect. And sometimes we see that in men's health. So if we're going to move forward in 2021, I am going to ask you as one of our favorite doctors joining us on our program. Uh, this is your second installment. And we've already loved you so much the first time, doctor. If you could help well, the men who are listening and the women who love them moving into 2021 with health issues that they should pay attention to. Well, First off, I, I always advise the guys to take a page out of the women's health playbook. Your health is your responsibility. Many times through the way the media portrays men and their roles in society and in families, it's almost uh, an oxymoron that the women are making the health care decisions uh, so for, for men and their families. And men have basically relegated that to not my my thing, uh, but guys must, they must take their own health care and that of their families into their own hands. They have to be interested and engage, uh, learn, and then be active and be your own voice. So you just can't let someone else take care of your health care appointments. Someone else watch out for these little signs and symptoms that you may have a, a heart condition or the uh, early Alzheimer's or beginnings of a lung condition, you've got to take the health of yourself and your family to heart as your responsibility. Women need to encourage the guys. So many, so many times I hear guys say, 
She's always nagging me about my health. She wants me to do this. She wants me to do that. But women know very well how to reach their men in a very positively persuasive way. Uh, and it's not just spouses. It's also daughters, mm-hmm. uh, nieces, female coworkers. Those are all individuals uh, who have a great deal of ability to persuade men to do the right thing. And in this case, the right thing is, I believe, taking responsibility for your own health. That was the biggest change, I think, psychologically for women that occurred in the 60s, that they realized that if they didn't take care of themselves, it wasn't going to happen. So that's my biggest advice to the guys. Oh, how I appreciate that. I think in in some ways we've spent a lot of political time demonizing men, uh, making fun of them and pulp culture, uh, emasculating to a degree in a a post-hashtag Me Too society. We've kind of looked at men as if they're a great evil when really they're part of the solution. We are all part of the solution. So you bringing balance to that and saying, okay, maybe in some ways we've needed women to uh, take ownership of their health, some leadership in, in that regard. One of the byproducts of of where we are today may be that men's health, men's mental health may be suffering. And I wanted to maybe wind up our time together talking about men's mental health as we move into the mm-hmm. new year with a very hard year behind us, uh, maybe some demonization and uh, wondering where their place is in the world uh, and loss of jobs and, and the like. Let's talk about the mental health of men and how we can help our men thrive. Men's Health Network is working on a funded program now. Uh, In fact, we're doing a whole series on mental health and behavioral health in boys and men uh, funded by PCORI, uh, which is a a private funding entity. uh, And that's on our website, www.menshealthnetwork.org. But there are lots of issues here. One is that men and boys tend to express emotional hurt, emotional distress, very differently than women. Uh, And it's often misunderstood, particularly in younger boys, uh, adolescents, as aggressive, hostile, or criminal-like behavior, as opposed to an outward expression of emotional distress, sadness, isolation, uh, and uh, depression and anxiety. And so boys typically will lash out in a physical way, and the girls will talk it out and behave very differently than they normally would. And so we run the danger, though. I want to stop there for just a moment, if you don't mind, because we run the risk of saying girls good, boys bad. When we've been a society that say, boys, you need to, and men, you need to get in touch with your feelings. And so as they do, we punish them. Yes. Uh, And it's because of the way they express it. There's also very interesting bodies of work that we've cataloged in our in our writings on this at the menshealthnetwork.org website, which looks at uh, the emotional language uh, that differences that we see in females and males. Women are encouraged to talk about their emotions. They have a lexicon. They have a dictionary. They have a language. They have a grammar that they're very comfortable using, expressing their feelings. I feel sad. I feel lonely. Uh, you know, things of that nature. And they work it into their overall conversations. 
guys are taught from a very young age not to do it, so they never, ever develop that lexicon. And when they do, the stigma associated with a young uh, fella in uh, a tough neighborhood or a young fellow in any high school in America, I think, unfortunately, uh, saying, gee, you know, I'm feeling real depressed today and, and pretty isolated and lonely. That really is a very uh, sentinel call to his friends to isolate him even even further, which may be exactly what that guy doesn't need, that kid doesn't need. Uh, that happens at the family level, too, unfortunately, because there's no emotional lexicon. Uh, and w girls are trained in their families, too, to be more in touch with their feelings and emotions and express them. When a, when a boy does try to express their emotional hurt, uh, they are oftentimes rebuffed or they get the some semblance of a man up, uh, take, take it in the, in the chin. Uh, so that those are a couple of, uh, you know, really difficult scenarios that we face with boys and men. And this has disastrous consequences. The suicide rate in boys and men uh, is historically about three to four times that of women. Uh, and what we're finding is that it used to be dominant issue in older men when they lose identity from work and things as we've been discussing a little bit before. But now it's moving down into the most productive years of men in our society, 25 to 40, the greatest increase in suicide in American men uh, has occurred since 2016 and 18 when the data was last reported by CDC. The greatest growth in suicide has been in that 25 to 40 year age category. So there's a lot of retooling we need to do. Uh, we've made some very important suggestions, I think, on how to do that. I appreciate it. And if we could, in our final moments together, give parents, uh, spouses, those who love our men and boys, some of those tools just to start us off on the right direction, get our minds thinking in, in ways that maybe we haven't thought before, doctor, that can help our guys in a really difficult time. Yes, you, you need to be sensitive to what you're seeing them do more than what you're hearing them say. Uh, ah, changes well in their behavior, uh, uh, being a little more hostile, uh, everything from just withdrawing. You know, millennial men, uh, millennials in general are very, very isolated because of the uh, the crazy name of social media, they become very isolated. And with the isolations mandated from COVID mitigation, the ones who are taking it very seriously, and that's most people in America, thank goodness, uh, they are becoming even more isolated. So watch what they do uh, and then try to approach them and say, how are you feeling today? Or uh, ask, gee, I noticed that you're not enjoying this, that, or the other thing that you used to do, or you're looking more tense is there something I can do to help you? So put an action verb on there. At first, they'll deny it, uh, most likely, uh, but they do want people to reach out. Guys want people to reach out to them. They want you to notice there's something bugging them, uh, and they want you to gently help them identify it. And they're not going to come up with the words so easily, but you have to help encourage them, especially if, some men do have a good emotional vocabulary. So guys, dads, uncles, grandparents who 
can guide the young men and even in the older guys, you know, spouses, nieces, daughters, very powerful. Just watch what they're doing. I always appreciate your insight and that you focus there at Men's Health Network on men. They are sometimes the forgotten segment of our society, um, but yet such an important one and one that we love. I love having you on the program. Thank you so much for joining us and Happy New Year. Well, Happy New Year to you too, Michelle. And anytime you'd like me back to talk about all that's going on with the vaccines and what next steps are being in play, I'd be more than happy to be there. And we will love to have you as always. Thanks again. Happy New Year. Bye-bye now. Bye. Today, taking on one of my favorite subjects, men, right? And as we look into 2021, men's health, the men's mental health, uh, what is 2020 like for men? Oh my goodness, every category of people totally uh, looked at in the media and talked about and coddled to, but men are kind of put on the back shelf. So today, men, it is all about you as we health watch today. My Michelle Live, Health Watch. She's writing a prescription for hope. Here's Michelle. Not just Michelle, but guess who is with me today? You know him, you love him. He's our Game of Life coach, Matt Peel. He is a certified corrective exercise specialist. I've already talked to a couple of you who have gotten his book and said it's making a difference in your life. He's that kind of guy. He's written the book, The Athlete in the Game of Life. Stretch, strengthen, live, and thrive. Not only that... He's a guy, so he's perfectly qualified for the program today. Happy New Year, Matt. Happy New Year, Michelle. Thank you. Yes, I am a man. Last time I checked. (laughs) Well, good. If you have any question about that, let us know. We'll keep you on the show anyway. I appreciate that. It's just that kind of world. You never know. For men, though, in particular, men are dealing with, as we've been talking about, uh, they have to deal with a a lot of pressure from a changing socioeconomic kind of environment, businesses going under, feeling the pinch of finances and provision, maybe dealing with the loss of health care in their insurance. There's just a lot of pressure and men having to uh, change their whole outlook, sometimes work from home. There's a lot of issues that are a particular interest to men. Have you seen that in in your work? Absolutely, I have. And I know men overall, we tend to suppress our feelings as a whole and don't really speak up uh, when things aren't going to, right? We just kind of right. let it fester inside of us and fester inside of us. And I know from a female standpoint that that drives y'all nuts because we want to, why don't you talk to me? Well, <laughs> we're just going to continue to fester on it and let it eat away at us. We're so, fickle that way, aren't I, we? And then when you do, we're like, why we don't are. you stop talking? <laughs> so you, you guys can't win. You just can't win. It's tough. I'm not going to lie. Sometimes we don't even try. Sometimes we don't even try. So I think that all plays into it because we are home. Uh, working and our, our environments have changed and we're not real happy about it. And so we just kind of chew and we just stew on it. 
because one, it's out of our control. Um, and depending on whatever area that you're listening to this now that you live in, certain things are in different lockdowns. As Michelle and I were talking here in the New Orleans area, we're a little bit more open with some of our businesses as opposed to where she is out there in, in Seattle. And that's so why I'll be many. I'll be there. When's the next plane leave? I'm out. <laughs> <laughs> Southwest nonstop. There I'm you sure go. Our daily. <laughs> so it's a little different here, and we're not, I guess, as feeling as reclimped as some other areas. Luckily, um, but I know getting out and kind of feeling our roads is important, and be able to do certain activities and. Uh, you know, exercising is a big part of that and being able to generate ways to boost our testosterone through that exercise does help keep a man, you know, feeling good about himself. So those kind of things kind of important when you're looking at the stress of a new year, the stress still on our shoulders from an old year, uh, internalizing, which, as you mentioned, that's something men do internalize. So uh, what are some of the areas of a man's body that really need the most focus if we're going to stretch it out? And, and that's a lot of what you talk about. We can stretch our way back into a, a better us. We absolutely can. And a lot of it is in the low back area. Uh, I think as I, I've mentioned before in a couple other interviews that we've done, you know, low back pain is the number one cause of pain in Americans. Obviously, it doesn't matter men or women in, in Americans. And so when your low back hurts and you're sitting at the dining room table, as I'm staring at mine right now and thinking, man, I'm glad I don't have to sit there for eight hours a day. It just brings down your entire mood. So we want to do some things that will help actually to strengthen that lower back. And we really want to do stuff that's going to stretch kind of the front area, like stretching our abdominals, stretching our hip flexors, stretching our quadriceps. And a great way to do that is actually to do it right there in, in your living room or in your bedroom. It's called a, a prone floor cobra. And, and I know it's kind of a big long term. Yeah, but that it's sounds really kind of manly. Simple. So I, I, so I think the it men does. listening are going to go, okay, I can get into that. Yeah, yeah, I can be a cobra. So <laughs> we just we lay we lay face down, and we're going to put our arms out to the side, like kind of like we're in an airplane, and we're just going to raise our upper body as high as we can off the ground. We can raise our legs up two holes for a count, and then we bring it, you know, bring down. Don't slam your face back down on the floor, but come down gently. And we can repeat that for a couple sets of 15 to 20 reps. And that just helps us strengthen the lower back and help with our posture and help us stand up a little taller, which then pushes out that we're more self-confident and have higher self-esteem, even though we may not feel like it, it still gives the impression of it uh, to others. So this... Um show in particular focusing on men, but stress does affect women as well. So my question is, some of the things that we can be doing to stretch out the stress? Yes. So that, that's, that's one great way to help strengthen it. And then to stretch it, uh, if we're going to kind of think about that same area, is we can, if, if you have one of those exercise balls lying around the house, which oh, yeah. a lot of us do that are, uh, you know, collecting dust or maybe some <laughs> clothes on them right now. Throw those clothes off, dust it off a little bit, and you can actually roll back onto it, lay on your back and roll back and try to now touch your hands 
behind you and stretch out those abdominals, stretch out those hip flexors. And then when you strengthen that low back and do the stretching on the front, you're going to feel better. You're going to feel much better, um, you know, about standing up straight and getting that break from sitting there on leaning over on your couch all the time. I have such a great imagination that every time you're on the show and you're talking about these stretches and I'm kind of moving my body a little bit, even as I'm sitting in the chair, I, I have to be careful and guard that I'm not, oh, yeah, that's good. Oh, yeah, that's good. <laughs> like, yeah, I like that. I have to be careful. I'm such a dork that way. <laughs> as we move into 2020 and we are looking at kind of strengthening and stretching and getting ourselves back into a, a better mind mindset for 2021. I think your book is so helpful. The athlete in the game of life, you know, we're all playing this game of life. um, And you encourage us in ways that we can stretch, strengthen, live and thrive. You give us some help that we can take on our own. We can also find folks like you have some resources online uh, to give people a little extra help. Absolutely. Um, Yeah, I do have some individual and some group coaching programs uh, that are available, both for kind of catered to, say, the executive level uh, person or maybe the the over 40, say, to to 60 age group, and then kind of those that are above the 60 and up who are probably actually right now trying to find out, well, how am I going to continue some type of income and revenue stream? Because maybe my stock portfolio isn't doing what I thought, or I can't quite retire when I thought because I haven't had income coming in like I thought over the last, you know, especially this, this past year. So uh, definitely catered toward the, those different age groups. And we do some more individualized on making sure you're doing it right, making sure your movement assessments are correct and getting some personalization in there. And then you can also just become a what I call a uh, member on the Athlete in the Game of Life team. Just get some great tips every month on uh, tennis, on golf, on stretching, on strengthening, on anything that's going to make you help you feel good. Because in the, the day, we got to do things that we enjoy. It's, it's kind of like a multifaceted approach because your book is encouraging. It gives us some help. And then if we connect with you online at mattpeel.com, that's mattpeel.com. It's, it's an ongoing encouragement that we really need. I know it sounds trite, but in this time, oh my goodness, we need it. We need to be reminded, get up, get out, live. Even in these lockdown states, there are ways that we can enjoy life. We can ski, we can play tennis. You know, some, sometimes some of the tennis courts are closed, unfortunately, but there are ways that we can find to get moving. And we need that because without movement, we find ourselves depressed, we find our bodies feeling awful, then it's it's almost like a cascade effect of lack of sleep, lack of libido, lack of energy, lack of joy. We've got we can reverse the process. And that's kind of what you you preach is that really, we can reverse the process. Oh, absolutely. The, the body is very adaptable. You know, as we've learned, some of these unfortunate behaviors uh, because of what's going on, we can obviously unlearn them and get back to ourselves of being physically active. And then there are ways to do it. And getting outside obviously is the best way. I know it's 
super cold in the Northeast and the upper Midwest and places like that, but you know, they're used to it. And so getting out in the snow, getting out on the days that it's not, uh, you know, miserable on you, that's important. You know, vitamin D is great for that little bit of sunshine that you can get during the day. It does help your mood. Um, we don't have time. that. We and don't have that strange that. golden orb in the sky. So uh, boosting up that vitamin D uh, orally can really help. You know, I'm going to make a, a big confession that there are days that I work mm. hard and it's raining. I, I live in the great Northwest and it can just rain and rain and rain. And I've had a day or two where I don't even leave the house. It's not to say I haven't yeah. moved or I haven't stretched, but I haven't left the house just today was like day two of not leaving the house. I went to take out the garbage and I thought, this feels really good. I'm just walking mm-hmm. to the garbage can, dumping recyclables going, this feels good. I need to get my hiney out of the housey and maybe go for a walk or a run <laughs> or just go to the beach. And just We need to remind ourselves to live, that we are athletes and this is the game of life life and I want to win it. Absolutely. And it does start with your mindset. If you have a a winning mindset, then you can find a way to get over it. And it's not even the fact that you have to be the top one percenter and win at all costs. That's not what we're talking about a zero sum (laughs) game, but just having, having a, a, a positive mental outlook, acknowledging when things are bad, they're bad. Okay. Let's accept where they are, and, and, they're, and they're bad. But the bad does not continue on forever. Uh, it will change. And if you can find that little bit of uh, you know, gold in the, uh, you know, the, the crap of your life, in a sense, then you can, you can push through and you can uh, persevere. You can find Matt at mattpeel.com, P-E-A-L-E. His book is Athlete in the Game of Life. You can click the link anywhere you're listening to this podcast to get your copy. It's an easy read in a day full of help for men as we talk about men's health today, for women and for life. Well, welcome to a new year. We love to look forward in our culture. We're not so keen on looking back and learning from the past. Well, unless it's demanding someone else learn from the past and do things the way we want things done. 2020 was a year of, well, a bit of chaos and a year of the idea that silence is violence, Black Lives Matter, pointing out hate, bigotry. But you and I will never move forward on conquering bigotry in our worlds if we don't see the bigotry in our own lives, that it's not just, maybe, think about this, maybe it's not just a white male problem. Maybe hate, bigotry is a human condition problem. Joining me to talk about this is Dr. Paul Nathanson. He's a gender history and religious studies professor. He has been said to define the field of misandry in our culture. He's the author of several books, which we're going to talk about and have links so that you can learn a little and maybe be part of the solution. Dr. Nathanson, thanks for joining us. Great to be here. Well, 
here we are in the new year and our problems in 2021, we're ready to solve them, right? We have a lot of ideas. Uh, There was a news story that just kind of blew my mind that a a representative, Representative Emanuel Cleaver, an ordained Methodist pastor, altered the traditional ending of a prayer by saying amen and a woman (laughs) in in utter ignorance of what the word amen means. But here we are in a place where we're trying to bring balance and equality by pointing out the evils of white males. Are we well on our way to creating a worldview based on misandry? Yes, we're already there. I mean, that worldview um, is, uh, I would call it, gynocentric, mm-hmm. okay, in which all of history revolves around women, which is simply the reverse of what used to be called an androcentric worldview, in which the world revolves around men. So we haven't really gone very far in moral thinking Uh, for a long time, if we can come up with these reversals. You know what it reminds me of? It reminds me of the mess we are in, in many ways, in our country with politics. We have a Democrat in office. Things are kind of messed up. There's, there's uh, what... uh, gunk in the swamp, to borrow a phrase, then Republicans get in office, pledging to take care of everything, and they have just as much gunk and just as much ugliness, but we just kind of switch it around and play the blame game. That's a bit of what this reminds me of, that we are ignoring that we're all humans. We like to segment and tribe up. Yes, well, you've described very well uh, this thing called intersectionalism, uh, which is just another word for wokeism. Uh, Mm -hmm. And the idea is that we're not just individuals. By virtue of our DNA, we represent classes of people, groups, um, and To represent them means taking responsibility for what they do, or say, or did, or said. So that um, if you're uh, a white man, you are guilty, uh, you're guilty of collective crimes that you had nothing to do with, but your ancestors might or might not have. So you're not really a person, you're uh, a symbol of something, of some theory. We can also see that in the call for reparations. Uh, You have to pay. Someone must pay. It's not about moving forward then. It's about pain, it it would seem. It seems as though uh, we have a need for blood. Yes, I think that's one way of of saying it. The, The reparations thing is a bit complicated because I think that if you're paying compensation to the actual victims mm-hmm. and it's paid by the actual perpetrators, then that makes sense. But if you're talking about victims who lived 150 years ago, and if you're talking about people today who weren't even in America at that time, um, 
it becomes very becomes morally very uh, yeah cr- crazy yeah it's convoluted so dr nathanson sometimes we don't see the forest for the trees and that's one of the reasons i was so delighted that you agreed to come on Sometimes we just need that light to come on. We don't realize as we've been in lockdown, binge watching Netflix, that there is bias in film, in television, uh, even as as uh, was pointed out in the correspondence and getting this uh, this segment together, even in greeting cards for crying out loud, not to mention in uh, rulings and legislatures and courts. Yes. It's all based on the idea, the, I think the assumption, um, I don't know if the people consciously think about this, but the assumption that justice is synonymous with revenge. Hmm. And it's not. Because justice, for real justice to occur, it must be in a context of reconciliation and healing. Oh, thank you. That, and that is, is not so what they good. want. No, they want but punishment. Exactly. That's where we're at. So we see it in um, passive aggressive ways. That's what I would say in some ways we see uh, the bias in film and television in particular in the entertainment realm. It's kind of passive aggressive. We laugh at men. We laugh at their stupidity. They're clueless. And and then it, it can get even more nefarious. Can you cite some examples? Because you put quite a few and uh, help us to see some of the the ugliness of man-hating in our pop culture with your book, Spreading Misandry, The Teaching of Contempt for Men in Pop Culture. And it, I, to me, Doctor, it, it helps turn the light on, you know, things that we would laugh at or look at. Then all of a sudden you're going, oh, maybe that's kind of inappropriate. Maybe I, it's not okay to laugh at people that way. We've, we've seen that light come on when we're talking about people of, of, uh, of color or the handicap. No, you don't laugh because someone's cane falls and a handicapped person can't get up. That's not funny. It's not appropriate. So sometimes we need that light to come on. Well, for yes, you, you mentioned um, spreading misandry. Now that was the first volume of uh, four mm-hmm. that I wrote with my colleague Catherine Young, um, and it was supposed to be. The first chapter of a single volume, but we had so much material. <laughs> oh my goodness! <laughs> that says a lot in itself. <laughs> not only to four volumes, but to another, I don't know, twenty-five years of research. Um, my goodness. So yes, it, um, now we looked at these uh, commercials on TV and movies and romance novels and what have you, really as symptoms of, of a deeper problem. Okay. Uh, and that's why that was in volume one. Now, so I, you know, I, the commercial that I remember most vividly um, had uh, a car driving through um, a jungle. And um, then the car stops, people get out, um, the men are driving, wearing their pit helmets like good anthropologists. Um, and they start making a mess of everything. They can't open the door properly. They can't, uh, they can't put their clothing on properly. Well, meanwhile, there are some women 
probably their girlfriends or wives, standing behind a tree um, and photographing them as if they were photographing the primitives of uh, some tribe that they were going to study. So it was really, really pretty pretty hard-hitting. The message was very simple. Men are incapable buffoons, and women are intelligent. So if we, sometimes we need to do this. Sometimes we need to take it out of context and say, if it were another setting, would it be appropriate? In other words, let's say that we were to put black Americans at that same vehicle, at that same setting, and a bunch of white people on the side filming them as if they were animals. We That is morally reprehensible. It is nauseating to even think of, and there is no way that would be on the air. No, and it's more more reprehensible. This, the one with the uh, the men and the women, it's more reprehensible because we already have hindsight. We know that similar things in earlier times <clears throat> are now considered reprehensible. Mm-hmm. So we've learned that lesson, and yet we still produce it. Yes, we do. But it is a, a time where we are living in an age where it's us against them, light against dark, men against women, good versus bad. I really appreciate as you're listening today, uh, the books uh, and the volumes that Dr. Nathanson has put out on this subject, because you can, in in your books, go into depth into where that comes from and how, to me, what it speaks to is how it is indeed a human nature problem. We have this need to tribe up. We have this need to create a, a good versus evil, and we're on the side of good fighting for right, and anyone who disagrees, well, they are just the enemy. We demonize, we tear down, and it is a plague of our time. Yes, although it has a long history. Um, different names, mind you, but it has a long history. Um, in the West, which is the history that I know best, um, it goes right back to oh, maybe the 5th or 6th century B.C., and um, which is the time uh, when a worldview began to develop, which is called, in generic terms, dualism. And dualism infected ah. religions, including Judaism and Christianity, um, although they have other resources that, that work against it. But dualism is the idea that all of history is a titanic battle between us and them. And us, the, we, the people, the good people, uh, worship a good God, and those others, the evil ones, worship an evil God. Uh, so that it got encoded into a religious system that was compatible in some way or other with existing religions. And this dualism has continued throughout the centuries. It takes both religious and secular forms. And we've had all sorts of political ideologies in the 19th and 20th century uh, Mm -hmm. that conform to that very model, Marxism being one, uh, National Socialism being another. It would seem that any belief system or ism can fall prey to this. You know, I think of of, uh, being a woman of faith where my Bible reads, our fight is not 
against flesh and blood, but against powers, principalities, rulers of darkness and wicked places. In other words, it's not about making enemies of people. It's about the the spiritual darkness that we can fight. How do you how does a thinking person separate those without becoming a dualist? Well, that's a good question and it's a hard one to answer. And obviously, not everybody does find a way of doing that. I think that you have to have a moral framework that transcends immediate political parties. And and, uh, there has to be something that transcends party politics. There you go. And and that's um, and that is really indeed something that we need today, uh, Doctor Nathanson. I, I I understand though that there are some times where we're dealing with misogynistic men. I mean, I just left a a job uh, recently because the um, the atmosphere was so bigoted and the treatment was so bad. And I am not one to play a card for sex or race. So you're not saying that men are innocent, ascended lambs. What you're no, saying is not. that this is a human condition. Exactly. Exactly. So uh, because what we see is a fight. There, There's a, a a fight when you point these things out and say, look, if we were to look at the true problems of mankind, perhaps we would actually come up with solutions. We, uh, if we were to treat men and boys uh, and to deal with the issues that maybe plague them instead of ignoring them, treating them as the enemy and elevating women, maybe we might see a little more balance. Maybe we would have fewer problems with the hashtag Me Too issues. Perhaps we wouldn't see the uh, the problems maybe like I faced in my last workplace. Maybe we could see some real solutions. Well, maybe. Uh, I mean, there's always history. <laughs> oh, give me some hope. History is surprises. And historically speaking... I'm not aware of any culture that has ever endured forever. So in theory, mm-hmm. we could be on the edge of of collapse. And what happens... In many is, ways. In many in ways, way, indeed. Yes, and what happens um, in these cases, either civilizations collapse from, uh, from um, inner decay, and sometimes they're overrun by more dynamic civilizations, often more brutal ones. Um, So there's nothing um, certain about history. We have to take each period and say, now how do we get out of this mess? You bring up history, and I think that's pretty important because in our history and throughout history and throughout your volumes, you talk about how this idea of women and, and even female superiority and the goddess is such an, a, a, a driving force. And we see even in American history, I think in one of your books, as you point out, American suffragettes of the late 19th century and early 20th century uh, were also very bigoted. Uh, 
against black women voting or even black men voting. So it's not necessarily uh, a pure and beautiful goddess ascension. Uh, we are we see within the history of feminism, you can take Margaret Sanger as a another example of bias and ugliness that's pervasive within the movement, just once again, going back to our point that it is a human condition. Yes, well, of course, if you were a feminist ideologue, then the answer to that would be very simple. These women who did or said or thought evil things only did so because they were told to by men or okay, because they were influenced by... That's self-defeating <laughs> because then that's saying to, that women aren't really ascended. We're not capable of thinking on our own. That's right. It, it, deni- it, it, makes ways. it, it denies the moral agency of women. You would think then you would see in that time women saying everyone should vote. You think that you would see, say, you know, all men and women are created equal if there was a moral high ground. But really, we're just seeing, again, a human condition. So as we are moving forward in 2021, we are seeing some uh, more movements towards uh, discriminating against men in general, but uh, I, when just doing a little research, uh, reading through your books and researching what people say about Dr. Paul Nathanson, um, I think one of the one of the sites I looked at put it best: a Christian WHM, which if you didn't know is a white heterosexual male, and a homophobic bigot. Uh, pro-heteropiarchy activist and author promoting the misogyny myth, um, the misogynistic myth, I'm sorry, of misandry. I, I, I read that and I think, wow, th- that's, that's real loving. That's really ascended. Well, in, apart from any, anything, any moral qualms, um, I happen to be Jewish, not Christian. I happen to be gay, not homophobic. I could go on. <laughs> Isn't that interesting? We we like to label people, put them in a box and and say this is why I should hate you when in reality you uh check boxes that would be maybe appropriate for uh the politically correct and and yet you're not asking to be put in a box. You're asking to start a conversation on some of the things that really do ail us. Oh, I applaud you. Well, I know I don't, I never Google myself because I know what I'm going to find. <laughs> um, but uh, when I, uh, Catherine and I have been asked to speak at various universities um, and that was just before everybody got canceled automatically. Ah, uh, yes. So we were asked to speak. There was a protest we were um, we had people screaming at us. We had to call the police. Somebody pulled the fire alarm. We had to evacuate the building. So all this was going on, and the topic of our address was um, intersexual dialogue, because that is wow. that's the moral ideal that we are striving for. Well, apparently, um, dialogue is considered dangerous and violent and threatening. And therefore, uh, it was okay to try to get us um, silenced. So I'll tell sh- you how far we've come. 
<laughs> That's it's sad. I it doesn't leave a lot of room for hope. But on the national stage, it it seems daunting. Maybe I can bring it though down to the personal stage, how I can affect change in my life, how maybe the light can come on. And I can realize that we as humans, and you, I think you found this while you uh, focus primarily on the, the problems that we have towards male hate, especially white male hate, uh, that we all are prone to bigotry. Is that true? Well, that is not only the truth, as I can affirm it, but um, every religious tradition that has emerged in the past, since history, since uh, written records are, have been left, um, has begun with the idea that something is wrong with the world. It shouldn't be this way. It should be better. We should be better. And from that basic realization comes religious insight okay and as as we have a religious insight uh, where we think we can be better does that necessarily create within us or uh, give us a propensity to say well I want to be better as I am and so in order to feel better the age-old thing you make someone else feel worse Blame your problems on someone else. Yeah. They are the well, problem. Well, of course, that's always, uh, you know, religion is not, doesn't give you a lobotomy. Religion <laughs> is simply uh, one context in which there are possibilities other than hatred. Okay? Hatred is basically tribalism. And uh, yes. at, one, at one point in evolution, it might have served a useful function, but it certainly doesn't now. Um. And since we can't go back in time, we have to deal with what we've got. So religion provides a resource. Now, in uh, Western religion, um, we do have uh, the idea of um, compassion and of loving your enemies. I mean, these are all things that have emerged within religion. But on the other hand, um, religious history is certainly not devoid of uh, of massacres and persecutions. Indeed. um, So, you know, there isn't a safe place. There's nowhere to hide. That is such a great point that when you think of it, we can get so entrenched. Even if we are doing something that is good, oftentimes uh, there are movements that are birthed from a, a, a wonderful place, a, an idea of justice and hope and help, but we can be so entrenched in our trenches that we are ready to make war and sometimes when we're looking at another human being as the enemy instead of dialogue uh, we can utilize um, weapons of uh, tearing people down weapons of of passive aggressiveness that we've seen or outright aggressions as we've seen it as we googled you <laughs> we, we can use those tools of aggression and they can be verbal they can be acts of aggression they can be putting people down and it can turn into outright war and I, you almost feel that our nation is on the verge of a civil war in, in many ways 
Yes. Uh, I mean, I live in Canada, but I certainly know what's going on down there. And it is very frightening, I must tell you. Yeah. We, because we feel if like... America collapses, we'll, we'll go down with you. So, um, <laughs> there's, as I, I say, there's no place I love to hide. Canada. Exactly. Exactly. Well, I, I live in the Seattle area, so I'm seeing it uh, in spades. As we, uh, as we wind up our time together, we're looking towards 2021 and a new era, but we're already seeing that we're not solving problems. We're just beating up on one another. I utilize the example of the representative that ignorant in ignorance stands up represent representative cleaver from Missouri and says, amen and a woman. Oh, oh, well, that's just too, too ridiculous. I mean, I happen to be in religious studies and I, and the word amen has nothing to do with men. It means truly. Or, I agree. Know. In agreement, right? If I'm, if I'm not mistaken. It's, it's actually, isn't it not an acronym of three uh, Hebrew letters? And, and it does indeed say, it, 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 uh, apply, imply an agreement. Yeah, I agree. Hey, amen. Well, it's not an acronym, but it is three ah, Hebrew okay. letters. Okay. And um, it's said usually at the end of a prayer, somebody prays aloud, and the congregation says, Amen. Yes, we agree. Truly. That's the right <laughs> thing to do. So that's what it means. Um, so, if it wasn't but of so course, sad, if you don't know a word funny. of Hebrew, and um, don't, don't look it up in Wikipedia, that's what so, you get. And that's so ignorant. As Yes, and so we're marrying our uh, bigotry with ignorance. I can't think of a more toxic recipe uh, for disaster. As we move into 2020, are you already seeing signs of problems that can take us further uh, down this road? One of Biden's uh, campaign promises um, is to... um, abolish the interpretation of Title IX. Title Title IX uh, originated in the 60s as part of the Civil Rights Act. Um, And its goal was to prevent gender discrimination in any school that that the government, that, you know, finances which means almost every university. So, but Title IX was very quickly reinterpreted under Obama to mean, um, because they were so anxious to, to prosecute students and professors who had been guilty of sexual misdemeanors, and so they, they wanted to get as many convictions as possible. So their solution was to encourage universities to deny basic provisions of due process. Whew. Now, the absence of due process in those kangaroo courts really just paralleled what was going on in real courts of law, where due process also was, was being abolished under the banner of Believe Women. Okay, so before you even have a trial, you already believe the woman, 
that's not really a trial. That's a perversion of a trial. Wow. Well, we do see that quite a bit, and that is not really bringing true balance. Though some would argue, doctor, that uh, when the balance of justice had frequently been in favor of men, is that just bringing a little bit that maybe those those scales, for example, kind of wane? They go up, they go down, and, and finally find their f- footing. Or am I no, just being I too optimistic? I don't, think that, I don't think that this is a kind of um, mechanistic process. It's it. This is a these are procedures that are created by people with political goals in mind. It doesn't just happen randomly. So um, there are people who simply want to change the basic premise of law which in the Western world, many countries in the Western world, not all, uh, it begins with a presumption of innocence. You're right. Now, that is so basic that if you try to get away from it, you're basically tearing at the very structure of our democracy. Yes. True, true. So how do we get around it? Well, the first thing you do is you insist on due process. That means that anyone who is accused gets a fair trial. And, well, you you would hope. But we are getting away from a lot of that, and things are being judged in the court of public opinion. Exactly, exactly. The court of law has been bypassed. Yeah. And, And not to mention that we're also a country of feelers instead of thinkers. This is how it makes me feel. So it must be true. I know that we can't change this on a large basis uh, with today's program, but I am—I was so empowered by your books, which I'll mention here in a moment, uh, kind of turning the light on helping me to look at my own life and my own choices and the way I look at others and the way I perceive the world and how I uh, maybe comply with some of the um, some of the popular culture, I can change my own world. And that is, that makes a world of difference to the people around me. So I would recommend as you're listening, uh, go to our website, anywhere you're listening, you will see uh, links to Dr. Nat. Nathanson's books, Spreading Misandry, The Teaching of Contempt for Men in Popular Cultural Culture, Legalizing Misandry from Public Shame to Systemic Discrimination Against Men, Replacing Misandry, A Revolutionary History of Men, Sanctioning Misandry, Goddess Ideology and the Fall of Man. Uh, brilliantly read and it really can give us an insight to beyond actually I think your books are are far reaching beyond just the uh, the focus of men but how we treat others that we have disagreement in general whether it's political mask wearing not wearing mask wearing pro-vax anti-vax Democrat Republican who you voted for all of these things really are uh, uh, to me brought to light as we look at this particular issue and that's why I think your your books are just so brilliant for the time that we're in doctor 
Thank you. And remember that the kind of conflict that we discuss in these books is exactly the same kind of conflict that takes place in terms of race Mm -hmm. or ethnicity or religion. Yeah. I mean, they're all, they're all, they all follow the same pattern. They do indeed. And when we are looking to be victims, we can also turn the table. Uh, Once, as you had said earlier in our time together, we want someone to pay. We want revenge. We don't want healing. We want revenge. We want the people who made us feel uh, bad to pay. And we see that in the Black Lives Matter movement. We can see that in... uh, in, in the feminist movement, we see that in every ism to one degree or another. What are we really looking for? Are we looking for peace? Are we looking for payment? So there well, are so much to Let me just add one learn. thing here. Yes. That feminism did not begin this way. Feminism began as an egalitarian movement, and it followed the basic pattern of um, Martin Luther King uh, and the civil rights movement. It changed, however... Uh, sometime in, I think, in the 80s, and perhaps it took its cue from the Black Power movement, but in any case, it changed, and it became what I call an ideology. Um, So I don't want to say that feminism is nothing but an ideology. It had an origin that could have been very useful, but it, it got hijacked somewhere along the way. Well, feminism or uh, standing up for uh, marginalized people. Uh, I was at I was at George Floyd Square within weeks of the death of George Floyd, and the movement that was there was not about punishment. It was about we want dialogue. We want to uh, we want to be heard in our community. Uh, we it, it was quite different than the national narrative that you saw played out on on. T- television was very different. So there are people who want equality. There's people who want fairness. But these movements tend, in my opinion, to get hijacked. Um, And uh, what I'd love to end on is the beauty of what we did see during the civil rights movement in many regards in the in the um, 50s and 60s of a we want dialogue. Uh, We are trying to move forward through peace. We want to be seen as equals, but doing it in a way that elicited res- mutual respect and That's said, right. can that we just King's talk? greatest gift. And if we can do that with the things that we're passionate about, whether it is our faith or whether it is uh, our, our uh, call for equality or whether it is uh, the cry for uh, people of color to be recognized whatever it may be uh, i'm not knocking and nor are you in your in your writings knocking people's uh, heartfelt movements it's just when we move into that dangerous human condition of bigotry bias and blame that we start having a lot of problems i'll give you the final word well actually you you said it all i do think that if there's any hope for any of these conflicts the only possible way of dealing with it is what we call intersexual dialogue, which is based on the model of interreligious dialogue, um, but much more rigorous. In other words, it's not just a matter of getting together in church basements and talking about how nice we all are. 
it really requires, first of all, knowledge. We have to know something about the topic. And secondly, it requ- and most important, it requires empathy. So you put those two things together and you have the makings of a genuine dialogue. Ah, that's encouraging. That's something I want to walk in today is empathy. That's the word I'm going to take away um, with a lot of other things from this fabulous interview. Uh, I'm going to I'm going to keep empathy at the forefront of my head today. And I want to thank you for taking the time to come on this program today. I'm hoping that because of our dialogue today, it will get us thinking and maybe uh, change things in our own world and wouldn't it be great if that could impact the world around us? Thank you for the work that you and your partner do. Uh, it, your books are are amazing. And I encourage as you're listening today to delve in and learn. Thank you, Dr. Nathanson. Thank you for the opportunity. I wanted to wrap up our program today on this Health Watch as we focus on men on bringing it to the God story. That's what we really look for. Look, God created us, man and woman. We have distinct and and beautiful characteristics, each one of us, each one of us uniquely and wonderfully made, not one greater than the other, which is kind of an abusive, uh, pervasive idea that sometimes circulates within the church that uh, men have this superiority to lord over women. No, we, we were created equally, just with different offices. That kind of equality is astounding. And if you need to get down to what the real God story is, there is no better example than the greatest man ever lived. And we talked about some great men today, Martin Luther King and the work that he was able to do. Astounding. But there is one man that stands above all others. And this man made himself no reputation as something great. And oh, look at me. And yet he, if you follow biblical teaching, came to earth as God and man. And we just celebrated Christmas. So as we look at Jesus and his life, think of this as I quote Philippians 2, 7 through 9. He made himself no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of man. Think of that. God in man. That's pretty humbling. Being found in the appearance of man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. He did that for you and I. Therefore, God also has highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name. If we as men and women can find that place of humility and realize that great power is just that humility. Humility is power restraint and put into place, putting others first. Then, you know, men, there is nothing a feminazi woman who thinks that all men should be subjugated and put in their place can say to a man who's walking that kind of life. It's a beauty that shines. And I encourage you to walk in that kind of beauty and to find that kind of God story, male, female, whoever you may be. That's the God story that encourages me. Thanks for listening today. And if you are looking for the God story and you need more information, find us at mymichellelive.com and email me. I'll get back to you. If you 
want to share the God story, like this, share this, tell your friends, get the word out about what we're doing here on these podcasts. Thanks for being part. We'll catch you tomorrow. Sometimes I'm a man of God. Sometimes I'm all right. More Health Watch at MyMichelleLive.com.